Hero puts his head in his hands. He's not exactly thinking about this. He's letting it ricochet around in his skull, waiting for it to come to rest. Wait a minute, Juanita. Make up your mind. This snow crash thing, is it a virus, a drug, or a religion? Juanita shrugs. What's the difference? Welcome back to Anomalous Readings, a science fiction podcast. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Jackson. Hello. Uh, I thought earlier about how I used to give us little nicknames based on the books. Um, couldn't think of one for this one. Oh, uh, probably be too racist anyway. Yeah. Everyone does have like sick hacker names. Do they though? Does um, anybody have a cool hacker name? I guess David has David, but the V is a five. Every time I looked at it, I had no idea how to pronounce that. I was like, Defivit? 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 I almost forgot it was there because I mostly listened to the audiobook, but. um. I don't think anybody actually gets any cool hacker names, though. Like, Hero Protagonist, that's just the name he uses in real life. Well, uh, YT's name is not uh, actually YT. I guess so, yeah. Um, Defivid. <laughs> Defivid. I feel like Defivid. Reading this book made me Defivid. Um, yeah, so we, we, we read... Um, Snow Crash. Snow Crash this month. Did you been reading anything else? I know we don't have as much. Uh... I read lots of stuff, actually. Oh, go on. Hit me. I read several books. First one I read, I did not write these down in a list or prepare anything to say about them, so pardon that. <laughs> but um, I read This Is How You Lose the Time War. The the How do you lose the time war? Uh, lesbians. Okay. Um, I guess... The, that book is really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay. Um, you know, the the post went around for a reason. It's a it's a good book. Um, I love time travel, and I just thought that it was very uh, well written book. Like the the words were all very nice to see. Um, I also read the Poppy War. I read two books. Oh yeah, I read two books by R.F. Kuang, the Poppy War and the new release Yellow Face. Uh, Poppy War <laughs> is a fantasy book set in a fictional world based on China, and uh, lots of terrible things happen to lots of people. Um, it's it was very engaging, and uh, I had a good time with it. Um, Yellow Face is a I guess thriller drama something like that about um 
a white author who watches her friend die and then steals her unpublished manuscript for a novel about World War One. So World War One. Okay. Uh, it's about like labor workers in World War One. It's been a little minute, so I apologize for missing the mm-hmm. uh, the details here. But basically, she just steals this um, story from her Asian friend. And tries to, like, uh, publish it and, like, goes by her middle name, which is Song. Um, and just sort of pretend... Not... Ex- never claims to not be white. But definitely just tries to, like, pass through the... You know, just slip slip through with that. And uh, it goes wrong for her. Oh, wow. I couldn't, I, I couldn't have seen that going. That one was a really hard book to read just like cringing at every decision being made and every every fucking every action taken by this character is just unhinged it was a really good book uh that's good i don't know if you meant that in a good way or not because i was i was listening to that i was like this this seems like i would be like i'm already on twitter it seems like (laughs) it's a very twitter book it is a very Um, twitter book um twitter is i'd rather read the fancy novel twitter is a plot point in the end well obviously it's gonna be in a but yeah it would be it would be unrealistic if it wasn't uh that was uh that was like a week or two ago i read it in like a day and i don't think i've finished anything since then uh although i've been continuing to read a little bit of um uh, Pirate Enlightenment, the Graber book that I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and, of course, we bought a bunch of books. Oh, I've read half of The Citadel of Forgotten Myths, which is an Elric book. Uh, that was mm-hmm. fun. I haven't finished it, but... I've mostly been playing Diablo and Street Fighter. That's so true. You've been gaming. I finished, You've been doing a lot of gaming. I finished the Diablo 4 campaign this morning, and the season starts today, so I'm good to go now. Yeah, I need to go and get the last couple orders of the Lilith before the season starts. Even though the patch came out, and now I, I feel very uh, unmotivated about this fucking season, because they ruined everyone's build! I don't know anything oh. about that yet. I just I fought the final boss this morning, and um, that's all I had to, to do. Still unclear why Lilith was the bad guy in all of this. Uh, she had horns. She was doing some good stuff. She was helping us out. She was like, we gotta fuck these guys in hell up. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, sounds sounds good. We gotta destroy the church. Also sounds good. Don't see anything wrong with the things you're saying, Lilith. <laughs> uh, I guess she killed that one guy. Uh, yeah, she killed that guy's son. Yeah. She stuck a big crystal in his head. But that was just one guy. It's fine. Our guys have killed some guys too. So. Yeah. Not 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 the worst thing in the world. Um. Yeah, I guess that's books. Yeah. I, I, I As always, usually come on here. Like, I've read the book for the thing and everything else has been other podcast work because I fill my life up with too much work. Played all of Final Fantasy 16 for a podcast that you can uh, go check out on Abnormal Mapping. Probably... Uh, 
be next Friday from recording this, but I don't know which of these will come out first. I assume this will come out first because um, we're already like behind schedule yeah, recording. Yeah, this will come it. out today probably. Uh, yeah, so it'll it'll be uh, it'll be out next week then. Um, uh, yeah, I forgot how to talk about books, but we're here to do it. Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Yeah, the 1992 cyberpunk classic novel Snow Crash starring hero protagonist and his journey through the metaverse. Uh, That's right. When you say it like that, today. it sounds bad, though. <laughs> oh, well, why is that? Why is that? No, that's weird that this book would sound kind of bad. Yeah. And then if you read it, you might come to a more harsh conclusion. <laughs> it doesn't just sound kind of bad. So... In broad summary, the plot is about a uh, hero protagonist, uh, a freelance hacker. The last of the uh, freelance hackers. The last of the freelance hackers uh, who, like, helped program the metaverse, which is this, like, replacement for the internet that's a VR situation where everyone goes to live out their life uh, because the real world sucks so much as governments have collapsed and everything's been replaced with, like, feudal control from mega corporations and also the mob. And also, just like, you know, it's just a hot private ownership of random cities under random corporations and uh, the mob. And like any private institution, legal or illegal, is equally represented in uh, the way things work now, basically. Um, and the metaverse is the thing that connects everyone uh, where everyone just goes to the fuck off. Uh, in this hell, a virus called Snow Crash is introduced. Uh, it is like a weird card that you can get in the metaverse. Uh, and it breaks your computer, and it also breaks your brain. Uh, it's, it's a virus in both, and you have to figure out what's going on with that. And um, Hero Protagonist teams up with a courier called YT, uh, yours truly, to figure out what is going on uh, in this th- situation here. Um, and they do this by talking to Google for about f- 150 pages uh-huh. <laughs> uh, ab- about Sumerian languages. And I go... For fuck's sake, I know, I know how languages work. Yes, a, a language is a virus. A virus. I get it, get it, get it. Get it. Uh, millions of explanations about that uh, aside, uh, they discover um, that a man named, what's his name? It's like L something. L. Bob like Rife. L. Bob Rife uh, is using an old form of proto-language that the Sumerians used, which was like a universal form of base community. Uh, base human communication this is what they say that the myth of the tower of babel is based on that there was a way to universally communicate with humans uh in order to like people to essentially language before okay before one guy in uh ancient sumerian lands uh language wasn't like words it was like instructions like computer code and you would just like follow the instructions so there wasn't like creativity or interpretation going on um which is just not ha- how people work, but yes. <laughs> no, yeah, yes. And it also, like, that's not even how, like, apes worked, right? That's not even how animals that we evolved out of work. That's like-, like, Sumer's not even the oldest human civilization that we have evidence of. By a right. long shot. By a long <laughs> shot. But this, this book posits that Sumer is, like, a y- unique proto-human civilization that communicated in this this base way that could be innately understood in in the the way to the like similarly to the Tower of Babel, uh, and then human ingenuity basically invested. What's the guy's name? The other the guy Enki. the the yes him Enki from uh, mythology. Enki from mythology. Yes, he he like 
essentially doesn't follow the script exactly and starts inventing language to like have creativity uh, and the human spark is here and by human spark we mean uh, individualism those two things are presented in extremely the same way in a very 90s way uh, when it talks about like the myth of the creation of humanity it's like the one guy at the office job went off the script <laughs> Um, it's kind of how it talks about Enki uh, leading to the creation of languages uh, and the modern world and uh, this guy's figured out how to communicate with the original version and he's like but by creating yeah. language we've also created viruses like physical yes. biological viruses it's the same thing because that viruses come from a comet I guess that part got a little lost on me. I guess all life started because a comet made some radio waves happen, and then a virus was there. It's just a kind of uh, really um, belabored description of just like how uh, the big, not quite the Big Bang, but like, you know, life emerges on Earth because of circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. And then continues out as a virus would because viruses are just organisms. Um, it's how I took that stuff, at least. But uh, the so there's namshubs, which are like incantations. Yes, and this is kind of like there's there's two different ones. There's the Asherah one, and there's which is the good one or the, no? That's the bad one. That, that's the bad one. That's the bad one. It makes you bad. It makes you like break. Um, and that used to be spread through cult prostitution and um, blood transfusions and all sorts of things. But that's how it switches between digital and and biological because information, is, I guess. Um, but there's also the Namshub of Enki, which is like a, a counter virus. And they have to get that tablet to transmit the, the <laughs> counter charm yeah. and so basically save the, world. the mid the middle of the book is describing all of these like sumerian uh, language concepts right to you in frankly illegal detail um and i understand like this is the world before wikipedia you wrote a book and you put some like facts in it right and it, this is how people learned about things you know we talked about this in michael Crichton, the uh techno thriller where you learned a bunch of science stuff was a big thing um especially before we could all stay up to 4 a.m clicking on random wikipedia links yeah. uh like you know many boyfriends have been lost to learning <laughs> about ancient sumerian language for four hours <laughs> yes <laughs> that's um, just a true thing of how we live now um but they explain all this stuff but then it has to like turn back into a book and it just boils down to oh they have the secret code to uh basically enslave all minds and remove human individuality again because that's the uh, plot in (laughs) all things i've learned over my time covering things online uh and uh hero has to read out the good code uh to stop that uh and he does and Um, also out on the edges of this particular plot is a bunch of like set dressing about the cyberpunk stuff, which is all very obnoxious in its own way. Um, I feel like all of it is so overwrought. Uh, the the like satirical elements are like way too cute. Yeah. So let's now we've like kind of summarized it. There's other stuff going on, and there's other characters, and you know, there's Uncle Enzo and rife and everyone and everyone but 
he stops the thing, everyone goes home, and that's kind of the end of the book. There's no reason to like resolve the societal stuff. Um So uh you, you yeah. used to really like this book. So tell me about that. I liked this book a lot when I read it twelve years ago. Um Yes. I was eighteen and Perfect age for it. it truly perfect age. Uh and you know, uh Phantom Pain was around the corner, so that was an, a time of my life when I was just really thinking about language a lot, because I read this book, and it, like, really fascinated me, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. What if language really is, like, super cool? The Wolbachia. And can do that, and then, um, that's not how language works, actually. Um, and I- Oh, you can't figure out a secret code to, like, hack all brains? <laughs> No, you can't. And also, the languages did. There's no. One of the early plot points is like they talk about, hey, how come languages tend to drift apart rather than toward each other? To which I would say, why the fuck would anything else happen? That just doesn't make <laughs> any sense to even imagine why languages would start to like develop toward each other. That's not how anything works because. People just talk their language in a certain place, and then some of them move over there, and they start talking it differently. That's just what it's just literally. It's literally. I mean, even in their own <laughs> metaphor, right? Of yeah. Like it's like a virus. Uh, they say this is like a profound thing, but really, this is just fluid dynamics on some levels. So when you introduce a thing to a like wider area, it will spread out and dissolve and the commune with the other things in the area and replicate right that's just like how most things work in space whether it be a concept or like a real thing like whether you're talking about a language or talking about someone peeing in the swimming pool um, why is the universe <laughs> the expanding right yes this is just <laughs> the fundamental law of like all <laughs> the nature of the reality we live in right um, um and also i just uh got very frustrated with some of the other like uh, pseudo anthropological plot points in this book, mm -hmm. just because like I've been doing a lot of just reading on my own about the things like this. Um, partially prompted, I'm sure, by liking this book when I was younger. You yeah. know, small domino, etc. But <laughs> now, then I come back to this, and I'm like, wait a second, this is this is stupid. That's not how that works. That's not how that works either. And it, it's not a, to be clear. It's not a problem to have your book be based sure. on uh, yes. completely wonky science. It's only a problem when uh, a third of the book is explaining that science to me with very little character work going on, uh, because he's talking to Google. <laughs> he's talking to fucking ChatGPT for half the book. Because if I if there's nothing like if I'm just getting frustrated with the science stuff, and there's nothing else happening in the book. But I'm not having a good time. <laughs> well, like, Sphere is also based on science that's kind of a bit silly, yes. right? Uh, but, and it is a similar um, concept of, like, this is a book you're going to read it, some, some stuff happens, and then you'll learn some scientific concepts uh, about time travel. Or what was Sphere was mostly about the... Uh, Jungian psychology? Jungian psychology, yeah, because it also, it also goes to, like, the broad like potential of humanity stuff at the end because every sci-fi book does that <laughs> that's the truth we learn on this podcast um you know what didn't and, do that uh, horus rising 
That's so true. <laughs> Horus Rising did not do that. The Red Side Picnic did. <laughs> um, that's so true. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, but, like, th- that book is all centered around, like, a mystery, right? And every single character in that mystery uh, has its own perspective. You know, you've got the talkative, uh, like, Glory Hoggins scientist, and you've got the intellectual guy, and then you've got mm-hmm. the main guy who's a bit of a weirdo about it, and everyone, being, you know, exposes their perspective, and these perspectives layer to build a mystery out of this concept. Um, here, uh, I think when the book is doing that at the start, it is its most effective. Like when you first get defived, <laughs> yeah, uh, getting the snow crash virus, and like this, he watched the thing, this blank disc thing, and it just like plays a little image, and then slowly his avatar starts glitching out, and something's fucking wrong. I'm like, this is good. This this is the good stuff. I, I quite liked like the start of it, um, but I don't feel like the mystery really built up. They just kind of eventually started talking to people about the Sumerian language stuff, and I was like, yep, mm-hmm, nodding along. Uh, uh, it didn't. It didn't like weave itself into the story in a way that I really wanted. It just really just felt like the book came to a stop to explain the shit to me. Yeah, and then uh, eventually, Hero becomes what's called a gargoyle, so that he can like be online while walking around, so that he can do yes. more of that exposition while also occasionally doing something in r- the real world. Uh, it's. It just means that the the scene, anytime something happens in the scene, the guy can like you know, ChatGPT can inject some some ideas, and then he can say, "Can you explain it?" And he says, "No, I'm just a ChatGPT program," because that's basically what he's talking to. Is that the, sounds the library, like a metaphor, right? which I'm not capable of handling. Yes, stuff like that. Um, which I think really comes to like one of the big uh problems with this novel, at least to me. Um is all of the language stuff, right, is, like, completely earnest and serious. It is a book about uh, this, these, these concepts of proto-language, and, like, he changed, he chooses ancient Sumerian, but whatever. Like, that, that part, we know that's not real, but that, it doesn't matter. Like, the, the sci-fi concept of what if there was uh, base structures in the human brain that with language you could manipulate in a specific way to communicate in a universal sense that our conscious minds have forgotten. Um totally earnest and fine sci-fi premise uh but it's laid right up next to like the most nonsense world building imaginable uh, i feel like it's completely at odds with the quote unquote satirical tone of <laughs> the rest of the book uh because i find the satirical stuff such as it is mostly extremely fucking obnoxious and annoying um oh yeah Again, at the, at the start i kind of really liked it because I, I thought it was like when he's describing himself doing the uh pizza delivery at the start he's the deliverator yeah um uh i really like that stuff because i just had a different read on what was happening my initial reaction was that the world was mostly normal and there was a computer game (laughs) um and like maybe a mafia guy had run a pizza chain right like i I (laughs) i took the world building to be this level of self inflicted artifice from hero Mm -hmm. uh to just cope with the normal boring shit of doing an awful job. You were thinking that Hero was just kind of chuny. Yes, I thought I thought Hero was chuny. <laughs> I thought Hero was chuny and not literally the best sword fighter. Yeah. I thought he was I thought he was chuny the best sword fighter and not actually the real best sword fighter. <laughs> um and gradually as the the book progressed I realized wait no it's like 
completely serious about the world building and the way that the world has completely collapsed into uh, uh, this, this um, terrifying feudal nightmare. Um, and it's really, and I th- really earnest yeah. about what the fundamental nature of like a Japanese person is, for example, which is yes. honorable and polite. And- and it does that stuff on like you know like it says Nipponese all the time all the fucking time uh, which is you know even in 1992 intentionally being a bit racist right mm-hmm. uh, clearly doing some world building here um, but I don't actually think that that like ironically like doing that with irony and awareness doesn't it doesn't actually end up like defining the world more I, I don't know really what it, what it says other than yes it is a cyberpunk world and thus uh a lot of strange anxieties about asia are present in the universe um but it, it doesn't like resolve these I- ideas in any way it just kind of puts them out there and it's like i'm gonna be do the racist thing I'm like, okay well that's bad and i know you know it's bad but why okay yeah and then in <laughs> i was the, kind of nod at some point in the third quarter when the slurs start coming out that's the same i have the same reaction we're like well why did why did you do that i didn't yeah, want to and, read that and then later on, when there's an entire chapter about how uh, a 15-year-old's uh, pussy is on fire seeing the hot guy uh, and the, the, the cringiest section in the universe happens, I'm like, okay, that's not even in-universe. That's just you writing this, yeah. Neil. <laughs> that's stuff from her. It's in her head. So it's not even like, oh, the perspective in this universe uh, of how like sexualization is so rampant in the met. No, it's in her head. It's in it's all in her head. Uh, and it's you writing it, Neil. So what the fuck is going on there? <laughs> that stuff is vile. I think the sex scene in this yeah. book, uh, I was like, bro, you can't do that. You genuinely can't do that. Are you fucking for real? I mean, it's just... And, I, I, and also, it's supposed to be like, have like a punchline at the end. And it doesn't... You can't do that. After that, you can't do both of yes. those. You can't have both of those things in this scene. Uh, and I think ultimately it's because um, the characters are too aestheticized. Like Whitey, uh, you don't really get into her head much. Or when you do, it's like... Because it's all about doing this cool cyberpunk, uh, like... I'm I'm the courier and I've been delivering to the feds and I'm doing this and you know and then I fell over and uh, uh, did a sick backflip and did all this this shit in this action scene. Um, it's like got this heightened aesthetic sensibility for it, which I think is like fine for most of the novel. But it means that when you suddenly start writing about like uh, how this 15 year old desperately needs to fuck this big guy who's like 30 or whatever, uh, I suddenly start going hitting a big red button and saying, please stop whatever the fuck you are doing, Neil. <laughs> Uh, like every because, yeah, our our glimpse into YT's head consists of two things. It's yes. like seventy percent work. Got to do the package. Got to you know talk to this guy. Got to make this escape. The rest of it is her talking about how everyone's constantly looking at her ass, or it's yes. like her being the spunky punk girl surrounded by all the sexist guys because like empowerment is when you uh have sexist things done to you and then you get to violently retaliate not anything else that's you know you're gonna you're gonna be the the smarmy uh feminist in that way that is just really obnoxious but by like 
by putting it so much in her head, especially when like with the Raven stuff really starts, mm-hmm. she's like hooking up with Raven. Um, and there's just constant scenes even before of like she's talking to Raven and he got close to her and she just felt like a fire in uh, uh, in her groin that she didn't really understand. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that's not how being horny works. <laughs> uh, um, and just like because she is positioned usually as uh, this like cool, sexy young girl. Uh, who is like underage, so understands that like the attraction fa- put on her in the world is problematic and bad, but that only gives her more cause to like own them coolly. Uh-huh. Uh, it just uh, it isn't creating the situation where I can earnestly invest in. Oh no, this is talking about a complicated relationship where a uh, you know. Uh, fully three-dimensional 15-year-old is ha- having sex with someone they shouldn't be and has complicated feelings on that because that is a thing that happens right? i'm not saying like this is a topic you can't talk about in a book um i'm saying that how he talks about it uh, it's fucking disgusting yeah and the view he presents is bad uh, and i hate it every second it's <laughs> basically all i can say about that yeah there's uh this book has lost all of the goodwill i had for it um 12 years ago and uh, just kind of an unpleasant experience. And a lot of it is just, you know, you'll just read a chapter and two or three little things will just kind of like sneak up on you. Um, mm-hmm. But it's constant. It's a constant barrage of like, oh, that I didn't like that. Oh, that's, un- that's un- uncomfortable. And then, oh, we're doing this for the rest of the chapter. Okay. And it's just like so... Unpleasant, I guess, is all I can really call it. Uh, just not a fun book to read. I gave it two stars on Goodreads. I don't know why. I don't do Goodreads anymore, but uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, just going back to the more like broad world building stuff. Th- every time it tried to talk about like America, I was like, "What's happening here?" Because <laughs> this is the other thing: is this is like thought of as a deeply. Um, prophetic book right or prescient uh, because it describes a lot of the ways uh in which computer software would go on to be used um and how like mmos work and eventually would just literally be copied like you know facebook's like we're making the metaverse real and obviously they weren't mm-hmm. um and i do think like the technological stuff is clearly you know informed by where things were at at 92 uh you know neil's clearly in the culture he knows things about that um but i think extrapolating that out to say like the book is prescient and aware is uh patently untrue because i think it's um cyber future dystopia uh is frankly a bunch of nonsense like they have the feds right which is like the remains of the bureaucratic america uh that don't control anything but for some reason have an entire army of people going to work and being tracked like a um you know like every press of their keyboard is tracked uh and if they don't arrive early they're judged um but the work is has no point to it there's no point it's just for the like love of an efficient bureaucracy seemingly um i don't know they they just code they just code, well, like, what are they coding? And it doesn't really get too much into that. It does say, like, they're making stuff for, um, for, what's his name? The guy, the bad guy, for, for Rife. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, like, they do make things, they make things that, like, private profit can't handle, um, is what they say. But, like, they're all, the government's collapsed. So they're not, like, making roads anymore. Like, what, like, 
I guess Function, it's, this is where I just it's yeah. just the it's just the bureaucracy, I guess, and not none of the state part. Just the part yeah. where there's like a power structure that has people at desks in suits with sunglasses typing a bunch. It's very um like Ma- the matrix right in terms of the like they're all the weird g-men with sunglasses mm-hmm. uh but they're like the agents are a state right the matrix is run by an authority <laughs> they are authority figures it- and the bureaucracy exists uh I- like in imagery because they are representatives of a state power um whereas in snowcrest the state has collapsed they only do this as like a because they're addicted to the, the like the aesthetics of the structure um and unsurprisingly, as a filthy fucking materialist, I find any sci-fi based on the idea that people will just keep doing things because they like the idea of it extremely annoying. The state exists to define the power of capital. Why would capital overthrow the state and then have the state off in like a back room all typing, doing nothing because that's what the bureaucracy is? Um, this, this, this is it like... It's criticism of capitalism just completely based on nothing. It's not actually talking about how uh, expansion would lead to um, this, like, exploitation and inflation. Like, these things happen, but uh, they just kind of happen because of how they fit into the metaphor of uh, the viruses, right? Like, ultimately, this book's view of the way society rises and crashes is a very individual one. Um, I don't think its um, view of (laughs) politics is very smart, I guess. No, it really feels like, like the feds in particular kind of just feel like, um, a childish understanding of what the government does and is. Yes. Where it's like the government is when there's a weird guy who does secretive things. That's it. The government is when everyone's like at their computers doing, uh, doing, doing bureaucratic work. But also, they can shoot you sometimes. Uh, it's yeah. I just found that stuff uh, very strange um, because yeah. Usually, in, in these kind of um, stories, I am looking for some kind of material basis into why the dystopia exists, like how money works. And here they have like right. So money collapse, which means like fiat currency is gone. Uh, so every corporation issues their own like cryptocurrency, basically. Um, except it's not really cryptocurrency. It's not, it's not doing, it's not about being decentralized. It's about like, they're just, they're just, you know, you work for this company and they give you their tokens, right? That's usually how the, yeah. uh, the money is, um, represented here. But, uh, other than everything being super, um, like precarious, uh, it's not really clear of like, okay, well how, how is food made? Right. How does everyone eat? Um, there's like pizza delivery. Who's who's ordering the pizzas? Who has a bunch of money to order all these these pizzas? How does like society function um, on a on a basic level? And I, I see that there's inequality everywhere, but I don't get the material structures of like what is propping up that inequality um, and what like tensions are being uh, like expressed in the world. Uh, and again, this is just you know dirty materialist about how I perceive these things. But this book is really a uh, difficult to analyze materially because it's mostly interested in the language stuff and also like every corporation is owned by one guy and nobody owns two corporations there's no this isn't even true there's no there's no like this other level of 
like this company owns all these different chains like all the chains are actually distinct and like the head mafia guy is uncle enzo and it's his stuff and it's mr lee's greater hong kong it's there's a mr lee at the top who owns it right like no there's nothing connecting these chains to each other um, but that's not quite true because, like, it's quarter hero's plot that he developed the metaverse and then, like, doesn't invest in the stock. Um, so there's a stock market. So there are investors. So clearly, like, there's an investment system here powering everything. And was that in the old world? Did that, like, collapse and now they're all just, like, owned by whoever owns them? Um, I don't, I don't really know. Like, that, that stuff is all a bit, does, uh, wishy washy. Does Elbob Rife own the metaverse? Right, exactly. He owns the he's, infrastructure like, for it. Uh yeah, he owns the um like cable right, all the fiber optics that everyone plugs into. Yeah, um, which is yeah his form of control. You can tell that we really enjoyed a book when we're asking this many questions about how the the, the world works inside of it. Yeah, sorry that this episode's a little bit like what was that black goo? <laughs> <laughs> I wish this book had black goo. This book needs black goo. Um. I- and then, like, one of the main character conflicts is, like, so, so, uh, Hero has, like, an ex, uh, Juanita, uh, who is, like, his partner in the, um, initial, uh, company that was, like, building the metaverse and was, like, hanging out there, uh, but he, they couldn't, they could never really hook up together properly, right? They would, like, fuck sometimes, but they never, like, clicked as a true relationship, uh, and the book frames this as, like, Hero, you're the best swordsman in the world, but you like delivering pizzas. What are you? What are you doing? You're like addicted to being a fuck up. Have you chosen to be like this? Um, and she's just waiting for you to sort yourself out. Notably, uh, not really present in these discussions are Juanita herself, who is more, mostly like kept distant as a figure of like this cool life that he wishes he had, uh, and eventually like hooks up back with at the end. Um, but like she's theoretically an interesting character because she's like Catholic. Uh, and is unlike most of the characters in this book, like invested in the idea of religion. Um, and this is the thing that drives her to like infiltrate the raft, uh, to be present for the, um, like weird, uh, world hypnotizing plot he has going on. <laughs> but functionally, she just exists to give hero information and then fuck off for a while. Right, they don't actually like sit with her. Okay, what are her motivations here? Why would she do this? What does she believe about this? What are the things that she believes say about the value of these various systems and stuff? By that point, the book's just in like, oh no, he's got to get the MacGuffin to uh, set up the antivirus. Uh, she's just not in the book enough. And when she is there, it's just like, the book's so fucking weird about women. The book's so weird about women! And I know that's the, the anomalous reading cliche at this point, but it's really true here. There's a there's a line in here about um, Juanita, I think, getting the t- type of sexism that comes from guys who think they're too smart to be sexist. But that's the whole book. That is you the whole book. You described yourself, Mr. Stevenson. <laughs> uh, that is extremely the book, especially you know all that whitey stuff we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, ultimately, I was very frustrated with Snowcrash. I I bought in hard at the start, and I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting and kind of like overly aestheticized look at how mundane, um, like, the gig economy is. Uh, But that ended up just not being true (laughs) until I was just completely off base. 
Uh, so this was originally intended to be a graphic novel, and I don't think that would have done anything to change how I feel about it. It would probably uh, no, maybe it'd make yeah, it'd probably look cooler because I mean this book doesn't look like anything. <laughs> I think the present tense of the book is a relic of that, if I remember right. Um, it has. It is also one of those things that's like, oh yeah, there somebody's definitely making a snow crash movie, and then that gets kicked around for like 15 years like ostensibly somebody is still making a snow crash movie right now uh that mm. the present tense is nothing to do with that neil stevenson apparently just usually writes in the present tense huh. like he's writing a screenplay i've read ream d that's the only other stevenson book i've read and i don't remember it doing that so i thought okay yeah i don't know who knows um we didn't even talk about raven well, outside of the way the Raven is interacting with uh, YT and, yes. and that awful plot, yeah, um, he's the big man. He's the the super cool, uh, huge guy who is the baddest ass uh, on the metaverse. He's the baddest motherfucker in the world. And there's like an entire bit about how like Hero sees Raven as freeing because he knows that he can never be as cool and as big dick as that. And I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> like what? <laughs> What's happening here? I I remember that because I remember this like monologue being said in my friend group a bunch of like until a man turns thirty five he thinks that perhaps under the right circumstances <laughs> he could be the baddest motherfucker in the world but meeting Raven was freeing for Hero because he realized he can never be the baddest motherfucker he can just settle for sort of bad. Uh, and then he buys yeah. a new motorcycle and a cool, a tactical outfit to put his swords on to go save the world. I, I can't believe Hero is actually cool in this book. I spent the entire <laughs> first forty pe- like forty uh, percent, thinking like, "Oh, he's just this embarrassing tuny guy." But it's when he starts like cutting the guy up in the in the um in the club, and there's like a fucking leaderboard that puts him as the greatest sword fighter in the land. Uh, I was like, what's going on? It, like, is that? And then it's like, oh, he did design the sword fighting tools. I'm like, okay, well, that makes it more embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I just don't know what level it's on. Like, I know, understand that on all things with Hero, there is a level of irony, right? He has called Hero protagonist and wields fucking katanas. Uh, he is meant to be a silly figure uh, of some kind of ridicule, but I, it just ends up feeling like that's just like ironic distance more than it is like criticism. Um, yeah. The book still wants you to invest in him as cool. Um, also, uh, also importantly, and this is something I can't comment on that directly, uh, he is black, right? Uh, he is mixed race, black and Japanese, right? Yes. That's, that's a hero's, uh, um, ethnicity, uh, which is totally fine. Uh, but, um, I, this book's portrayal of race is so weird and loaded most of the time, uh, that like, Hero doesn't have any specificity like that. And I think it's mostly because he is treated as like a kind of blank slate protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like you said, it was meant to be a graphic novel, but I'm fairly sure that's not actually true. I thought it was, I heard it was meant to be like a graphic CD, like adventure game thing. Um, um maybe. But I, I, I couldn't find it exactly. Uh, I, yeah, I can't find the specific um, uh, line here. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but 
like he does have a feeling of being a generic like user controlled protagonist in a visual novel or something. Oh, a, um, a computer generated graphic novel. Oh, the okay. No, that no, you're right. Yeah, that what is a, that is just a graphic novel. Whatever right? that means. <laughs> I assume that means like the uh, it's a graphic novel, but it's with CG and not oh, with like uh, it's with like rendered stuff, like a yeah. 3D models and stuff. Yeah. Huh. Um. Okay, then I, yeah. I was specifically wrong about that. But he, 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 he is um, black and Japanese, which is a specific, like, especially with how every other character is so heavily and constantly racialized. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It feels weird that this like doesn't come. No, it does come up. He keeps mentioning, "Oh yes, my fucking swords were." It comes up in the most racist ways, and not possible. His honorable Japanese history Ooh. brings him his katana. Uh, yes. Uh, there's two things. One, it only. The only reason it comes up is two times. One, when they're on the when he's on the run with YT, he can't go to some specific franchise place to lay low because he's with YT and she's white. So that matters. And then later on, at near the end of the book, a guy comes up to him and starts saying a bunch of slurs at him, and then he kills a bunch of guys with his swords. Other than that, yeah. hero protagonists like race or like place in the world does not come up or matter at all outside of again his honorable swords and it's just very strange because i understand like there's a bit of the bit of the characterization you get is because his 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 actual race is military kid because his his uh childhood was so uh bifurcated by his like military kid growing up and this was true of a one-eater as well that like this experience kind of erases the uh, uh racial and cultural norms that most children grow up with because you're traveling and in mm-hmm. a different like kind of uh, culture uh, which is like an interesting idea um but it do- it doesn't overcome the fact that I'm reading this, and every single time that it reminds me that uh, here a protagonist is not a fucking white guy who's bought some swords and is pretending to be the coolest, most honorable dude in the world. I'm like, oh right, I I, I thought this was a bit you were doing, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> it just reads like that in most scenes, right? That's just how it reads. And then um, there's also the so pointless, like completely tertiary, like story of how hero. And Raven ha- had fathers in World War II, and they met each other during this fateful encounter at the end of World That's War II. Right. And it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't make some kind of relationship form between the two people. It's just lore. Yeah. Um, the World War Two stuff so strange because it definitely like puts me off. Like, okay, when, when when exactly was the crash? Like because we're reading it thirty years on, I assume it's meant to be an alternate present, like sort of in around the yeah. early nineties. Uh, I assume um, so. Uh, but it does make me question, like, okay, when when's the split then? Because uh, this didn't happen five years ago, guys. A lot of weird shit has happened very fast in this world. Um. It wasn't like too big a deal. My, my main problems like the uh, stuff we talked about earlier on in the podcast, but uh, it definitely did mean that when they talked about the World War Two stuff, I was like, "What well, is this?" Like building to an idea of like what these like where where this is going, and it ends up just being like a another uh, um, just detour in the story, which is fine. I I don't like dislike. I'm not like all oh, stories must all cohere into one idea, mm-hmm. right? Like that's fine. I'm fine to have details. I just didn't particularly like this one. My problem was it was bad, not that it was pointless. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but hey, the, we got confirmation that in this world, the uh, the virus of Nazism was stamped out specifically. Which, how does that happen in a capitalist hellscape? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, they do start listing like once the once the <laughs> languages of virus and ideas of viruses thing is brought up, which is um interesting. Is I think this is like is this before memes? When does Richard Dawkins write that? Um, no, no, the selfish genius from 1976. Never mind. Oh, oh. Um, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, selfish genius from 1976. I didn't realize that book was that fucking old. Damn. And then memetics arose in the 90s. Cause I'm like, by 2001, which is when Metal Gear Solid 2 comes out, this entire concept is being, you know, I, I've heard people talk about it in that in that thing specifically uh-huh. as memes, 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 which is kind of the idea here, but he just chooses virus as the different way of talking about it, right? Uh, fundamentally, he's talking about the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Of like, uh, concepts metastasize in language and are passed on and transmitted through the population um, like viruses. Uh, and it's, uh, suddenly they start talking about like nazism that way they also talk about marxism that way and be- so basically anytime it's there's like, an ideology it's like nazism marxism bell-bottom genes you know anything that happens is a virus at which point i go but what's the like if if genocide and being on that phone are both in this list um then i don't really know what to do with it like uh there's there's a part where one of the mafia guys is like the the mafia pizza chains uh we um form our bonds and our like hard rules out of like familial connections or the appearance of familial connections right like you don't deliver the pizza in 30 minutes uh because you believe in the validity of pizzas being 30 minutes you do it because you owe it to uncle enzo and uh that's the reason you do things uh and the reason we act like that is because we have goals we want to accomplish we don't want anyone to do them for ideological reasons because ideology is a poison uh and if we do them based on like personal connections the goals will get done in a much simpler way um I'm like, okay, I get that, but like, what do you mean ideology is a poison? Like, this is still an ideology. This is still believing in things. Like, what do you mean the ideology as a concept is a poison? That that doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, and it's like stuff like that where I really go, like, I think the parts where this book wants to be about the philosophical underpinnings of human nature uh, just goes off the rails for me. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, well, at least our next book. Next month <laughs> will not have anything even approaching the fundamental underpinnings of human nature in it, right? Well, no, so here's the here we now we can say this is that I did not like this book at all, but I had a lot to talk about, a lot of crunchy ideas that Neil was putting out there, and I basically disagreed with entirely because instead of being a like, uh, you know. 90s software hippie uh i am a grumpy 2020s communist on the internet uh-huh. uh, so we have very very different perspectives uh a lot of friction there a lot of ways to discuss ideas uh from a text uh and what are we doing next month <laughs> next month we are reading vector prime by r.a salvatore the first book- can you please give me the full title of the book <laughs> vector prime What's what else? Is, does it say anything else on the cover? 
I was. Uh, let me pull up the cover. Vector Prime is the first of book. In, well, if you search Vector Prime, you'll get Vector Prime. Primus is appointed guardian of time and space from Transformers. Um, I believe what you meant to say was the New York Times bestseller, Star Wars, The New Jedi Order, Vector Prime. Yes, I was going to say this is the first book in the New Jedi Order series, which is the um, series of Star Wars books started in 1999. And it was a huge effort to get a whole bunch of different authors to come together. To stop fucking around! Yeah, and, and like, we're all gonna collaborate together to write this big event series and we're gonna have, like, story group meetings about it, and um, we're just gonna, like, shake up what uh, what Star Wars is a little bit. Yeah, so we're going to Star Wars. We're going to Star Wars, baby. Will I miss Neil? Will I miss Neil and being annoyed with him when I go to Star Wars? Who can say? Um, a thing I know that is that um, right before this book in like the chronology, the last books that were written before this one, um, that take place before this one was written, I think there's a little bit of a time skip, and I think that... Uh, although it might feel like it, there is not, you're not missing anything when you start this one where you start it. I remember being very confused when I opened this book for the first time originally, but Mm -hmm. it is supposed to just be confusing, I guess. Because the whole thing was like, all the authors just writing their own books and they kept contradicting each other and they kept putting their own super weapons that were destroying the galaxy in them. Uh... And they had to have everyone have a meeting and go like, right, we're going to put these in an actual series now. Can uh, Michael Stackpole actually talk to Timothy Zahn, please? So uh, just to read off a list real quick. The New Jedi Order consists of works by R.I. Salvatore, Michael A. Stackpole, James Lucino, uh, Kathy Tears, Greg Keyes, Troy Denning, Elaine Cunningham, Aaron Alston, Matthew Stover, Walter John Williams, Sean Williams, and Shane Dix. That is too many cooks. Uh, yeah, too many cooks. It is uh, 19 novels, three ebook novellas, and three short stories. And this is our, our first step into a wider world. Well, uh, we're only doing Vector Pratt. Uh I promised Nora that every six months or so we could do a Star Wars. <laughs> That's right. And here we are. We're doing, we're doing Star a Star Wars. Wars. So please look forward to that. And I'm sorry about the music that you probably have been hearing in the background of the last 15 minutes of the podcast. That's playing from somewhere in the neighborhood. I don't know where. I'll... Oh, I can't hear anything, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, hopefully they can't hear it either. <laughs> um, but I'll be happy to return to a galaxy far, far away to go back to war uh, next month. <laughs> we go back to war. Did you ever read the Back to War? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I never I don't think I ever read the Vector War I'm taking a look at the reading order here uh, so you got Vector Prime which is one book thank god yes. uh, and then next is a two book Michael Stackpole series no uh, rip. 
God fucking damn it. I'd be much more interested in the two book James Lucino series, uh, which comes after. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time uh, on more Anomalous Readings. Uh, Nora, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and co-host and blue sky at Skulldaughter. And you can find stuff I've done at norablake.online. Uh, you can support this podcast and many more by going to exportaud.io or at patreon.com slash exportaudio. Give us some money. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff right now. We're trying to get some stuff back on track. I realized this morning that a uh, certain podcast didn't get updated that uh, we re- you and I recorded. So I'll be fixing that soon. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and Franchise is back and continues to burn through the Dungeons & Dragons movies. Uh, I'll be recording the final one of those today uh, about the recently released Honor Among Thieves, which was very good. I really enjoyed it, so that'll be a fun one to record about. Good. Um, what about you? You can find me at Headfalls Off on Twitter and co-host and Blue Sky, which are the main three places that I post at the moment. Um depending on which one's dying on any given day <laughs> uh you can find the podcast that i do at abnormalmapping.com a whole bunch of cool podcasts there and you can support them at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping uh so go listen to those uh we're doing the great gunner project um at uh the patreon uh and we are in the middle of the movie trilogy right now we're doing the um uh first movie trilogy from the 80s uh, and then we're moving on to the Zeta trilogy and uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of different Gundam happening before we start Double O, which is our next full series uh, in a couple months. What if, so, what if it was Gundam 007? Yeah. Um, well, then it would be a James Bond thing, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I, I don't know what you want me to do with these pieces. I know what the references here are, but I don't know how to pull that into something. Um, that'll do it for this episode of Anomalous Readings. Um definitely before our next episode we will talk about lawrence of arabia and twister and twister <laughs> definitely in the next month definitely uh, we'll find we'll figure it out we'll figure it out look we've we've uh some mistakes have been made on the back end of recording and editing podcasts and we will fix them it's, it's been a it's been a hard summer so boy has it so thanks for listening goodbye 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 bye uh remember if this podcast was a virus, you'd be dead right now. <laughs> That's so true. Ooh,